and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and it is my honor to have today Krishna Das with us. So Krishna Das doesn't really need an introduction, but I feel like I should start somewhere. So <laughs> yeah, you better tell me who I am. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. So he's a chanting kirtan master. Can I say that? <laughs> You can say what you want. It may or may not be true, but you can say whatever you want. I don't think anybody will object to that. Um, and so he has a fascinating story. He spent the late 60s traveling across the country as a student of Ram Das, the great spiritual teacher. And in 1970, he lived in India for two and a half years with his guru, Neem Karoli Baba, who's known as Maharaji. And he's been able to touch the lives of seekers throughout the world through devotional chanting. He's a worldwide icon and the best-selling Western chant artist of all time. And in my life, you came into view specifically with the chant Baba Hanuman, and I'll get into that later. I have a curious story about that, and I'd love to get some insight from you about Hanuman um, and kind of engage with you as a teacher in this time. But I want to really get your vibration in here post-haste so we can okay. save my story uh, and get right. to that later. But welcome, Katie. It's such an honor to have you here. Thanks so much. Nice to be here with you. And I just love your story, and I think it resonates so powerfully with so many people because it has running through it this common thread of kind of attaining what you think you want and still not being happy. It seems like when you, you know, when you, um, before you found Ram Das, you know, you had your, your basketball, college basketball, um, career that you were working through. And then you, you had your, your musician, um, you were doing quite well as a musician. Um, and then you found Ram Das and you found this new wellspring of joy I, su I suppose I'll let you tell it. but And then you kind of went through it again following the death of Maharaji, um, where you had to sort of find it, find that joy again after a long journey. Um, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about your spiritual journey? Well, first of all, being being a depressed person, I don't talk about joy that much. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> you can use your words. <laughs> it's one of those words that you kind of like, oh, really? Joy, huh? Okay, yeah. where is that? <laughs> you know? No, I, I talk about love, really, because that's joy, of course, is one of the qualities of love. Not necessarily versa visa, you know. Mm. Uh, I was always looking for love, but... I, I had a lot of trouble finding that kind of feeling, well, that feeling of, of being at home, uh, being at ease, uh, and being feeling complete and feeling, you know, just that you were just where you wanted to be and where you should be and you were where you'd always be. Mm. So... Uh, you know, like everybody else, I tried to find it in external things, you know. And even though I was fairly successful at doing some things, although I was some, kind of neurotic, 
you know, and I wasn't really able to follow through. Mm. Like with the music, even I, I was too, uh, too unsure of myself and too um, self-destructive to really, really do it in a way that it would be uh, successful, at least in terms of the outside world. You know, I'm, mm -hmm. I still enjoyed playing, but I to get out there and really make it happen, uh, that wasn't going to happen for me. You know, and uh, I, I was attracted to you know, holy books at an early age, you know, in high school, I read Autobiography of the Yogi and Gospel of Ramakrishna, Zen and Japanese culture, those kind of things. And I just, I began to understand that there really was something to find and that there were people who found it. Mm -hmm. But it still was far away from me, far away. It wasn't, that was was in a land of imagination it wasn't real but it all became real when I met Ramdas and the minute I walked into the room where he was sitting without eye contact without a word spoken just walking in the room I understood I I, I got zapped with the understanding that whatever it is I was looking for was real mm. and you could find it it was in the world that was the that was the thought. It was in the world, or not the thought, but the the the, uh, the un inner understanding. And of course, it be that actually was the presence of Maharaji, my yes. guru. Yeah, who was not there? Who was in India? No, so this in is India, all in America. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is all inside. You know, but they were this so attuned that it's flowing. Yeah, this through. is after. Yeah, this was after Ramdas came back from India and mm -hmm. met Maharaji. Now a lot of people have a similar experience without even uh, without going to India or without meeting Maharaji physically, even though he's been supposedly left that body so long ago, there are people who experience him every day mm. because he's not, you know, a real guru is not outside of you, even though guru Ness might abide in a body for a while to get our attention and wake us up if we need that. Uh, but the real guru is your own true nature, you know, it's your own atma, your own soul. And of course, the guru knows that, but we don't. Yeah. So a real guru may take a form to uh, get our attention. And, but, uh, to, to, so the real guru is not outside. I met the guru before I met him, you know, mm. before I was there. And I felt him, I dreamed about him. Really? Which was crazy because I had only seen one little black and white picture. And I dreamt about him in 3D, full technicolor, you know. Wow. 4K, as they say these days. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I had that connection with him, you know. And then I went to India to be with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Ramdas was very uh, important to that. That he kind of... Uh, uh, he, through him, I kind of located that part of myself in a in a deeper way. That part of myself as a seeker, as a someone who really was knew what they were looking for in a sense, knew that they were looking at least. Mm. You never really know what you're looking for until you find it. Well, but you might know you're looking. <laughs> yeah. 
you might know you're looking, but and you may think you know what it is, but it's never what you think. Yeah. So that was that was big, and then meeting Maharaji and being there for two and a half years, he allowed me to stay. He kept me there. He he got my visa made for me, where everybody else got sent home for some reason, you know, at that time. Uh, so he kept me there two and a half years, and and one day he looks at me and said, "Okay, you go back to America." You have attachment there. And I went, ah, you know, wow, well, I'm just learning it. <laughs> what is going on, you know? Yeah, you go. So uh, I had to Did come your back heart to just break? Well, to, to be honest, after two and a half years of denying a whole part of my being, desires and lust and and all the you know just the, all the stuff in your emotional reality in india there's not a lot of room for that there mm -hmm. wasn't for me i was just fixed on him i didn't get involved with women i didn't get involved with anything like that i only wanted to be with him only wanted to i mean it was the full sun shining why would you turn away the sun of love you know mm -hmm. and i wanted to be in that all the time uh but he saw that, of course, he knew everything, and he saw that I had a lot of work to do before I was going to allow myself to really rest in that love. And that work is still going on, by the way. It's not a finished job in any sense. And so he sent me back. And uh, then shortly after that, he left the body. So that was very hard for me because... You know, I'm a simple kind of guy, and I was attached to his body, his physical presence. Mm. You know, I, I don't think of myself as a spiritual guy necessarily in any way. I just, I wanted to be with him. I loved him more than I loved anything and anyone, and I wanted to be with that feeling as much as I could. And then he sent me home. I was planning to come back, but I didn't get back in time. Mm. So uh, that was devastating for me and it led to a long period of of uh the demons in my own heart and the, the the birds of prey and my own desires just feasted on me for a long time mm. and i wasn't really i just felt i'd lost it i'd blown it i'll never find that love again and i created a lot of suffering for myself and people around me and and uh, so, yeah, and that went on for uh, 12 years, mostly, mm -hmm. 11 years, let's say, 73 to 84, yeah. Yeah, so it was a really very terrible, painful time. Yeah. And so this yeah. leads to, um, I'm trying to remember, I watched One Track Heart. I loved it. So there is a, a film out that I, I do recommend, Krishna Das, One Track Heart, and um, or One Track Heart, the story of Krishna Das. Is that right? Whatever. <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes. But um, And so you went, you eventually went back to India you, I, had been, I had been back quite a few times already, you know. Uh, I'm thinking of the time with the kind of awakening where there was the festival. Yeah. yeah. 
84, I went back and I had a very deep experience, which kind of was like, okay, let the kid live, you know? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So that was very big, very big, uh, great blessing, great, tremendous grace. And after that, from that moment on, I started to be more, uh, more introspective about my stuff. I wasn't blurting out so much anymore. I wasn't acting out so much. I was, I started to, because I saw that it was my own stuff and all I had to do was look at it mm-hmm. and not pretend it wasn't there. If I looked at it and recognized it, then it would start to release, be released. But if I pretended and avoided and pretended it wasn't there, it would continue to, the shadows in my own heart would continue to push me around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there would, you know, I, that was, that was also, that was grace. That was uh, a tremendous uh, opportunity to, to really be alive again, because I was slowly just really cowardly trying to kill myself in the, in the sneakiest kind of way, you could mm-hmm. say. So it, it feels like, you know, you, when you were physically in his presence in the early 70s, um, you, you know, very easily felt this flow of grace and this flow of love. And then when he left the physical body, I've, I've heard you say as well that you were, you were kind of chasing him because you related so much to the physical body. So you maybe... Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, it's like maybe you were hearing that he could be seen in certain places in in India. Yeah, there were there were people who actually saw him, mm-hmm. who met him after he died. I know that that's not mm-hmm. that's actually a fact. So right. Uh, so I just I, I I kind of played detective and I tried to find him and, you know, I ran running through the jungle in the middle of the hot season, 120 degrees, you know, I ready to die just to find him, but, uh, I didn't find him that way. So, so at what point, because now it seems like through the music, this channel has kind of opened through your heart and you talked about how Ram Dass, when you, when you met him, I'm sure all the time that you were with him, you were feeling this, flow of the guru like this channel of the guru coming through which is what seems to be expressing in your music now and when did you start um performing again or start performing chant music in 1994 okay it was. so that's tw- 21 years after he died okay yeah. so is in that time how has this started to flow through you? How has it morphed into something that you felt that you had to find outside of yourself that you've been able to tap into and then channel through you to share? Well, let's start at the begin the first part of that sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1994, I was in I was very bad shape. I was very depressed, very unhappy. Even after the experience in 84, I was still uh, not doing well. And one day I walked from one room to the other in my apartment and I was struck like lightning. And I knew that if I did not start singing with people, and it was very much with people, not alone in my room, 
if I did not start singing with, with people, chanting with people, I would never be able to clean out the dark shadows in my own heart. It was clear as day. It was just, this is it. Either you do it or you don't. If you don't, it ain't nothing's going to happen. And if you do, you will eventually clear out the dark corners, clean up, light those, light up those dark corners, which push you around from behind. You don't really see what's pushing you into the things you do, one does, you know. So I understood that chanting was the only way that I had uh, to process this stuff, so to speak. And I, I might add that it, that doesn't mean conceptual thinking about it. That doesn't mean therapy. That doesn't mean not that kind of processing, although that can be very useful, mm -hmm. no question about it. And I've done those things. But this was a little different. This was by chanting, I would be able to uh, clean out those dark corners. I didn't understand the process necessarily, but I knew that this is, this is what was being given to me. And in some ways I'd been prepared for that because I'd been singing on and off. I had sung in India to Maharaji with the other Westerners and I had loved chanting even in, before this and I was always chanting. Uh, but in America, I wasn't doing it except in a small group of friends from the old days, you know. Mm -hmm. But for me at that time, it was like rubbing salt in a wound. I was so emotional that uh, and feeling so unhappy about the whole situation. So, but in 1995, when, well, in 1994, I just, I, rec I had this experience. And then, uh, so I started singing with people at that point. Uh, but after about nine months, I realized that uh, this was not good, that I was not capable of chanting in the right way, and that I was going to use the chanting and all the energy and attention that was coming towards me, and it was started to build already very quickly. You know, it went from 10 people to like 100 people in a few months. Mm. Uh, that this, I was going to use the situation to satisfy all my hungry desires. Because I was a hungry guy. Hungry people have to eat. Mm. Now, normally there's nothing wrong with that. Hungry, you have to eat. You're hungry. Eat. Why not? But I was trying to reconnect from my side with Maharaji's presence. He had never left me. But I had taken, I had pulled my hand away and I was trying now to find his hand again. And I was not capable of doing that. I was going to be grabbing this and grabbing that with that hand and not grabbing a hold of his hand. And I realized it and, and the realization got deeper and deeper. And finally, I just quit. And in, uh, on the spring solstice in 95, I uh, I decided to go back to India and I went back to India and I said to him, I, now I started talking to Maharaji and I said, look, this is your problem. I'm singing to people in your name, you know, and if you don't fix this, what's in my heart, I can't deal with this. There's nothing I can do because I'm the problem. 
So you have to fix this. If you don't fix it, I don't sing, and that's the deal. Good night. Every day, I, I wake up in the morning, and nothing had changed. This is in Indian Alley. Mm-hmm. And I was in terrible despair because the only thing that I could do to save myself, I was being prevented from doing by my own stuff. And there's no way around that because it's me that's preventing me from doing it. Where am I going? What are you Where am I going to go? And I'm not going to be there to prevent myself from really doing it the right way. I was not, incapable. There was no possibility. So he had to do something. And every day in India, and it was the hot season. I was with my Indian family, one of my Indian families. And it was torture and disaster. And every day it was more and more desolation, more desperation. Uh, and then a few different things happened. And uh, I don't need to necessarily go into all the details. You can see the movie. Yes. <laughs> the movie of me. Uh, anyway, uh, in, finally at the end of my stay, just before I had to leave, Maharaji actually did something. He actually changed my whole life. Absolutely. There's my life up to that moment. And then there's my life after that moment. And not that the outside was that different, but the inside was different. And there was a, 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 a um, he took my hand. He grabbed my hand and he, he grabbed my hand. I didn't know where to find his hand, but he grabbed mine. You could say that in a, in, in a, uh, in a way. And I had a very deep, very life-changing experience. And it allowed me to come back and really sing. Mm-hmm. And really, really, as a practice, as an offering, as, as, as what I could do to save my own ass. And uh, so that was a great, great blessing, a great grace on me. And the, the thing was that the practice includes other people. Yeah. Because I had to sing with people for it to work, more or less, you know. So, so other people also get the benefit of, of my practice. I'm sharing my practice and they're doing their practice. We're doing it together. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a great thing, really. It's well, really it's, wonderful. Yeah, it's this beautiful overflow. You know, you've got all this grace flowing out from you, and it's not only the people you're playing with, it's impacting, but, you know, when you're, when you're live, it's call and response. So it's, it's not even just going to see a performance. It is an no, immersive, no. dynamic, but, yeah. But let me just let me just say one thing about what you just said. It's not that the grace is flowing through me. It's flowing through everybody because everybody has is the same inside. Mm. Everyone's atma is exactly the same. Everyone has the same soul. It outside of the soul there's individuality, but the soul itself is one. And when we enter into that space, it's Maharaji who is has become that one who has merged completely with the divine, with the universe, with God. So he himself or that soul itself is is flowing in everybody. 
And it's not really me doing it. I, I mean, I, people say, oh, you're so humble. And I said, no, I know me. <laughs> <laughs> you, want to, you want to pin it on me? That's your problem. But I'm telling you what's happening. You don't have to believe me. Mm-hmm. But it's, it, it's that presence that's in everyone that opens up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm seen to be the front man. But that's okay. I don't mind. You know, it's mm-hmm. okay. Uh, and so it's just been wonderful. And that practice of the repetition of the name, the names of God, as they say, or the divine name, the sacred name, the holy name. And it's divine and sacred and holy because it's your own true nature. It's the love that lives within you, mm-hmm. us, as who we really are. But we're calling our own names and moving more deeply into ourselves. Mm. Yes. So, yeah, that's the deal. <laughs> well... That's that's beautiful, and I'm so happy that we all get to benefit from your your seeking, you know, your path, which is uh, just intersecting so beautifully with everybody. And um, and maybe this is a good place for me to allow you to have your your drink, and I I can tell my story of Hanuman and how sure. you came into my my realm. Um, so. It all kind of began with the Kachari Mudra, which is the tongue lock for anybody who is listening. I'm sure you're familiar with this, but um, it's a, a yogic practice of bringing your tongue to the back of your throat and ultimately up into the nasal passages. And so this is just part of my practice, and I I can't I don't have it mastered, but I do it as much as I can, and it it's known to secrete this taste, this bliss of nectar. And I had read an article about it. That, that somebody, uh, like a, a Swami in India had written. And, um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to play around with this and just see what it's like. And, and I could get my tongue far enough back that I could taste a taste that was unique. And I do this every day, and I'm familiar with that's, that's the taste associated with that. And so I was reading um, Be Here Now, Ram Dass's famous book, and... <clears throat> I got to the drawing of Hanuman, and I had no idea what it was a drawing of, but as soon as I turned the page, I had that secretion of taste in my mouth, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I've never tasted that outside of doing Kachari Mudra. And um, so I ended up contacting that monk in India that who had written the article to just say, like, and, and the, he and I were, are both part of the Paramahansa Yogananda lineage, um, author of Autobiography of a Yogi, which you mentioned earlier. And um, so, and in this lineage, we don't really, there's no focus on Hanuman. You know, Yogananda really focused on trying to bring the yogic tradition into the West, but in a, as, he didn't focus a lot on um, on Hinduism, for example, or, or the gods of India. So, again, I didn't even know who this was. I, I thought I'd contact him, see what he thought, and he suggested that you know maybe I have a past life connection with Hanuman. He said, you know, Hanuman is beloved or is beloved throughout India, and um, suggested a book that I could read about it, and um, and so then. A little while later, I went to the Omega Institute in New York, and I watched 
a documentary called Mantra while I was there. And you are featured in this documentary. And so, and I was very drawn to you. So I look you up on Spotify, you know, while I'm there. And the first chant on there is Baba Hanuman. And I just played it. And you start chanting Baba Hanuman. And that taste comes into my mouth again with hearing you chant it. (laughs) And so, um, and so I tried reading a bit about. Hanuman, and I got lost in the myth. You know, it's very mythical, and there are a lot of names, and there are a lot of stories, and it even crosses into, like, um, Chinese mythology. And so it was very, it, 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 it got away from me. <laughs> Hanuman really was hard for me Your to mind grasp. mind started working. Yes. Your mind started working. Yes, exactly. And so I just... I know that that you have a lot of different chants about Hanuman, and clearly, you know, he must be part of more part of your lineage if he's appearing and be here now as well. And um, I'm just curious about, like, if you can give a little overview of him and kind of how how you integrate and use his presence and and what he means to you and anything that you feel to share. And enlighten me. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the longer uh, I heard about Hanuman from Ramdas when he came back, because he gave me a copy of this book called the Tulsidas Ramayana, which is the, called the Ramacharita Manasa of Tulsidas. Tulsidas was a poet saint in the 1600s who retold the story of. Ram, <clears throat> for the poor people who couldn't speak Sanskrit because they were only the priest could speak Sanskrit and you had to pay him to do this. And so, so he rewrote, retold the story in a very different way, same story, but in a completely devotional context. Mm. Uh, more, he told the story from what the people of that time would feel with Ram rather than telling the story from a distance like Valmiki does, which is Valmiki's is the first Ramayana, the Adi, the very first one. So Tulsidas retold the story from in a devotional way and it completely rewires your brain and your heart. Uh, It just, because we don't have the wiring for that type of love. We have the wiring for emotional love and physical love, but real love, we don't have that wiring because our culture doesn't provide that. Growing up in a Western culture does not provide that. Growing up in India provides it, not that it's used all the time, but Mm -hmm. it's in the culture. Uh, But of course, that's a whole story in itself. But so... uh, for you, you should read what's called Sundarakand, which is the chapter called the beautiful chapter in the Tulsidas Ramayan. And it's it's the chapter that focuses on Hanuman and what he does and how he helps Ram uh, overcome the demons and the negativity and becomes, you know, become victorious over the demon Ravana, the demon king. And it's incredible. And, and the Ramcharitmanas is just, I mean, the story goes along like this, and then all of a sudden, 
<laughs> into outer space. And then at some point you land and then you keep walking again for a few steps then <laughs> into outer space and then, oh my God. And then, and it's just, by the time you're done, you don't know where you are. You, your really? heart is just dripping nectar. Yeah, it's amazing. So, and then as we spent time in India and got to know who Maharaji, how, how the devotees saw him, we, we began to see that everybody worshiped him as Hanuman himself. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, really? And in fact, he's, he's, he's seen as an avatar of Hanuman, a manifestation of Hanuman himself. And there are any, many number of stories about, like, there were, used to be this dacoit in India. It's a name for like a bandit who used to steal from the rich to give to the poor. Okay. And of course, the government was always trying to arrest him and find him, but he never could be caught. And it turns out he was Maharaji's devotee. Really? And Maharaji used to go to his little village in the jungle. His, his gang had their own village with their wives and families and everything. And, and uh, Maharaj used to go there. And, went, and this bandit was a beautiful singer. And he used to, you know, these, these hymns in India, they're all sung. It's all poetry. Mm -hmm. Ramayana is poetry. And it's chanted. And the Tulsidas Ramayana is all devotional poetry. It's amazing. So this bandit used to chant, used to sing, recite the, the Ramayana. And so one day he's sitting with Maharaji and he says, Baba, where should I sing from? Which part should I? And Maharaji was, he said, oh, sing from where I'm talking to Vibhishan. And he said, oh, yeah. then he just kind of, so in other words, there's a part in the story where Hanuman and Vibhishan are having a conversation. And he's talking about it in the he first said, person. Yeah. Oh. And then he just kind of fuddled the guy's mind up and he kind of forgot about it until later, <laughs> which Maharaji did. You know, he, he would tell you something and it was like planting a time bomb. <sighs> because when you were with him, it was like being in a dream. Mm. And you're in it, you're enjoying it fully, but you're not aware, in this, of, you're not aware of yourself in the same way. So some things would happen and then like, two days later or a week or later or 20 years later, you remember something and you go, oh my God, did that really happen? For instance, in my case, one day I was sitting with Maharaji, a few Indian devotees and one of my guru brothers. And my guru brother had one of these books, a book, a spiritual book with him. And Maharaji said, what book is that? And he said, it's called the Ashtavakra Gita, which is this non-dual text. Adwait, absolutely the most non-dual, you know. There is nothing, there never was anything, no one in the air ever, you know, that kind of stuff. So Maharaj says, oh yeah, what, what does it say in that book? Now, Maharaj used to always go like this. And we thought like, what are we getting, what is it? are we getting busted? What are we getting busted for? <laughs> Something... He knew everything. So he said, are we getting busted for something we did? <laughs> something we're thinking about doing or something we're going to do in the future, you know? <laughs> like this. So one day we said, Baba, what does it mean when you do that? And he went... Like that. And then he said, many names, many form, 
all one. Oh. All one. Sub all one. All one. Okay, so now he says to he says to Balaram, he says, Well, what does it say in that book? And Balaram says, Sub ek, all one. Maharaji goes, he looks over at the Indian people and he said, These boys know everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then then he reached into this charcoal brazier for heat that gives off a little heat. And he took out some ash and he goes like this. I open my mouth, he puts the ash on my tongue and on my head. And he does the same thing to Balaram. And he says, these boys are my disciples. Now, that happened in 1971 or two. Sometime in the 80s, the late 80s, I was in my apartment and I noticed my diary from India. And I opened it up and I'm reading. And I read that story about that. I had completely forgotten that ever happened. Really? How do you forget? Because Maharaji never talked about it. He used to say, I make devotees, not disciples. Mm. And he never talked about disciples, really. And he never, he never wanted, I mean, he never accumulated stuff or anything. You know, he was like free as the wind. Mm. But he said that, and I totally forgot that. How can you forget something like that, right? Right. But it was, it's because when you're with him, you're in this dream, this dreamlike state of love and bliss and happiness, and you're not holding on to anything. There's no, like, conceptual yeah. grabbing on stuff. And, and you know, so, you know, 20, almost 20 years later, you know, 15 years later, that. Wow. So, anyway, so. And then we began to see that the devotees treated, worshipped Maharaji and saw him as Hanuman. And that Maharaji himself was always repeating the name of Ram. You know, his tongue mm -hmm. was always moving. like Always. If he wasn't talking, you could see his job. So the name is always going on inside him. He's totally merged with that name. And the name of Ram. And Hanuman is called Das, Hanu Ram Das. The servant of Ram. And his lineage is the lineage of service, loving devotional service. And just as Hanuman served Ram, he accomplished everything for Ram. He, 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 anything that Ram needed done, Hanuman would do. He was just like, so we began to realize that we are in that lineage of Hanuman. And we learned the Hanuman Chalisa, which is this long hymn to Hanuman. We came to the temple every day and we'd be given a little book. Where is that book? Somewhere. Little booklet, yellow booklet, you know, cheap little printed yellow booklet with a flying monkey on it. And I had a hundred of these in my room, you know. Mm -hmm. And and then one day I actually asked, well, what is this, you know? And they said, oh, it's, it's a, a, a hymn to Hanuman. I went, oh, wow. So I thought, if we learned this, we could sing it to Maharaji. And then we'll find a way to spend more time with him. <laughs> Very sneaky. <laughs> and it worked. It totally worked. Oh. It totally worked. Of course, it was all his Leela, but it, would, I it know. totally worked. I was just thinking, and where did that idea, where did that seed get planted from? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
So, you know, he used to say to us, who is Hanuman? And we'd say all the, all the, the, the pat answers, oh, he's the servant of Ram. He's a, Maharaj would say, Ram ke swas, he would say, the breath of Ram, the breath of God. Mm. The breath of God. That's so, powerful, yeah. Breath is the connection we have to life. The body, the physical, without the breath, and the pran, breath is also prana, mm -hmm. life force. So without the breath, there's nothing here in this carcass, you know? Right. No life, no awareness, nothing, no consciousness. But the pran is conscious energy. And this is Hanuman. It connects us to the, the to Ram, to the to reality. Mm. It's the breath of God. The breath of reality, and you know, in the uh, there's a beautiful book called the Unvarnished New Testament, which is a translation from the Greek, which was written down a hundred years after Jesus, but it was the first one of the first things that was written down. There was some Aramaic version, I think, first, but it wasn't well known. But the Greek made it the Gospels well known, and. The word in the Gospels, now this is long before uh, so-called Western civilization, you know, which called the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit is what it's called mm -hmm. by, the, you know. The word in the Gospels is breath, holy breath. Really? Not spirit. Yeah. Breath. Anuman and Christ are the same. They are manifestations of that breath that connects us to real love, mm. divine, real love. We call it divine. It pretties it up. It, it sanitizes it. It's not sanit, sanit, sanitary. It's messy. It includes the whole universe, the up and the down, the good and the evil, the dirt and the beauty. Divine love is everywhere. It's all of us. It's our true nature. And this is this connection is Hanuman. And it overcomes all obstacles, all difficulties, makes everything possible by allowing us to overcome our limitations and merge into that breath, that sacred breath, that, that loving, that breath of love. Mm. So, uh, and Ram once asked Hanuman in, in, you know, in the Ramayana, it says, Hanuman, how do you see me? And he said, well, when I identify with the body, I serve you. When I identify with the soul, you are the whole and I am a part. But when I really know what's happening, you and I are one. Mm. So Hanuman has it all at the same time. He's a unique being, a okay. unique being. So thank you for sharing that. That's That's so beautiful. And I'm wondering, so that really gets to the heart of who Hanuman is. Do you have any, I mean, do you have anything to share about how you engage with him? I know you do through chanting, but if yeah. is there like the breath you mentioned, is there like a, a pranayama that's a, associated with invoking Hanuman or? Not, not from Maharaji's, with Maharaji, it's about love. Mm. He never told us to meditate. 
we said, how do we find God? He said, serve people. Mm. So it, he never encouraged us to do practice for the sake of our own spiritual enlightenment. Never. He encouraged us not to think about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So you ask a question like that, that's based on the fact that your ego thinks it's going to get, get itself enlightened. Mm. And what Ramana Maharshi said about that, asking the mind or the ego to, uh, to, uh, to, to uh, what's the word, to, to, to kill the, the, the mind, so to speak, is like asking the thief to be the policeman. Right. There'll be a lot. There'll be a lot of investigation, <laughs> but but no arrest will ever be made. Right. Yeah. And you see, that's the issue with Westerners mostly. Well, mm-hmm. everybody. One of the big issues about spiritual practice is that suddenly and not so subtly, it's our egos just trying to shine ourselves up. Mm. And to to merge in love means to dissolve into love, not to carry a big shining ego. And jump in the, you know, you can't dissolve that way. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the, the things that's, you know, over all these years, you know, it's almost 50 years now since I, it's, well, since I met Ramdas, it's what, 53 years. Mm-hmm. So over all these years, my, you know, I could be wrong, but my understanding of things is a little different than it was where I, when, when I thought I was going to do it, mm-hmm. you know. In fact, one time I spoke to, I was speaking to Siddhima, who was Maharaja's great devotee. And I said, Ma, you know, should I meditate? And she said, well, what do you like to do? I said, should I meditate or should I chant? And she said, well, what do you like to do? And I, well, you know, to think that something I like to do would be good for me, you know, my mother <laughs> never told me that. <laughs> so, and then she said, Krishna, I've spent 40 years with Maharaja. Not once did he ask me to meditate. Mm. He asked me to serve everyone, love everyone, and to remember God, which is the repetition of the name, Mm -hmm. doing the japa, which you do without, well, it's a whole story, but you do it with sincerity, but it's not, you're not trying to accomplish some state of consciousness with it. You're remembering God. You're remembering the name. You're tuning to that place inside of you, which is connected, which is that breath, the holy breath. Mm. So she, she said, not once did he ask me to meditate. And in fact, he said that the more subtle states of consciousness cannot be precipitated by the personal will. Mm. So you can see right away that how difficult it is for us to really have an accurate sense of direction, so to speak, mm-hmm. where most of the things of what we do basically shine ourselves up a little bit more and add more on instead of releasing and letting go and merging and, and attempting to merge into that love you can't bring mm-hmm. your suitcase with you into the love you got to leave your shit at home mm-hmm. you gotta you know so but we keep on grabbing more stuff and more suitcases and filling them with more stuff and 
I don't think it's. Uh, it's better than robbing banks. Let's put it that way. <laughs> It's definitely better than creating a lot of negative karmas, but but the humility that's required to sit in the presence of love is something that we have already within us. And the more we cover it up with, the harder it's going to be to uncover it. Mm. So it's an interesting situation. Absolutely, yeah. On one, On one hand, we're actually trying to make ourselves into a version of ourselves that we could love. You know, because we have so much self-loathing, there's so many stories we tell ourselves about ourselves that we don't like. So we want to make ourselves shinier and more beautiful and higher and bigger and better. And so we could love ourselves. Mm. So the motivation for a lot of this practice is really self-hatred. What could come out of that? Mm. That's so... What could come out of self-hatred? Yeah. Only more self-hatred. Right, right. So to find a way... So enchanting practice, for instance, just it is meditation. Enchanting practice, you repeat the sound of the name, you listen to it. When you notice that you've been pulled away by your thoughts or emotions or fantasies or imaginations, you come back. Mm. And you develop the strength to let go again and again and again and come back to the sound of the name. And it's a letting go process. And uh, it's sneaky because when you chant and sing, you know, you don't think you're meditating. So you don't have to worry about developing that ego. Yeah. Which is a big one. Uh, I'm a meditator, you know. People go on like that. Yeah, so? Mm big deal <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah that's yeah that's beautiful it's like a back door <laughs> it, it's it's yeah it's uh it's a trap door that most people don't realize is there and they get burnt in their own house mm. by their own desires by our own desires and fantasies and stories and we don't realize there's an exit all I have to do is go for it. Mm. But we're not, we don't, we don't, even if we were told, we don't understand what it means. What do you mean a trapdoor? Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean? I don't know. I don't know. It's under the rug. What? What do you mean? What's under the rug? The ground's under the rug. So we don't, we don't understand. And that itself is a karmic predicament what arises in our brains, in our awareness, what we grok and what we understand about life and its possibilities is also very much karmically, uh, not determined, but karmically presented. Mm -hmm. and, and something might arise, but we don't really get it. And so it just goes away. It's like things people used to say to me in the old days, you know, I just would go, uh-huh. But I, but now, like, you know, 30 years later, I go, oh, that's what they meant, you know. Because mm. I just wasn't ready to, it didn't, I wasn't ripe enough. So. Right. But if you're speaking, when you speak about karma and you say that if you're not ready for it, it, it just goes away. But then the nature of karma would be 
that it will return so that you can ultimately, you know, and it might ultimately may occur in different forms. And yeah. 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 You know, most people think they, we don't really, first of all, it is said that no one but a fully enlightened Buddha or a fully enlightened being can can understand or can see the reality of of karma because we they say we've had millions of lifetimes millions of interconnections with millions of beings and to see it all only a fully enlightened being can really see it mm-hmm. but uh, people think of karma as fate but it's not fate actually it's karma if if our own actions didn't affect our our lives, then there would be no possibility of, of being coming, being free, mm. attaining enlightenment or liberation. In other words, it's all determined and there's nothing you can do about it. So I might as well drink beer and watch TV. <laughs> Which you can do if you have awareness and not it won't bother you, but not mm. everybody does. So uh, but it's so it's exactly the opposite. In other words, it be, it's because of karma. It's because if we plant this seed now, this will grow. Mm-hmm. You don't plant the seed, it won't grow. Right. So that's freedom. That's the ability to free ourselves. And that is karma too. It's not predetermined fate. Up to one point of it has brought us to this moment. Mm-hmm. What do we do right now? We have a lot of options. Some of them we don't even notice because we're not ready to notice. But the ones we do notice, the options we have, if we plant those seeds, then things will, will change in that direction. You know? Yeah. Uh, so karma is really what the, the explanation of how enlightenment occurs, how that moment finally arrives where we recognize our own true nature. And because it's a result, because our actions in previous lives and the actions in this life and maybe in future lives have prepared us to uh, uh, have ripened us to a point where, you know, that Mm -hmm. awareness can arise. Right. And I love that because it's bringing into it, um, it's shining a light on even the opportunities that are, the opportunities that are being presented that are ch- that we might see as challenges, because so often it's like, oh, yeah. that's bad karma. You know, we kind of associate karma with like with negative things that are happening or justification for why we're having bad luck, um, yeah. or simply just cause and effect. But I love that, like that planting the seed. There's an intentionality. With that, absolutely, yeah, sure. Which is uh, it brings a lot of maturity to what could be seen as like a haphazard, like oh, I'm I'm at the mercy of my yeah. Karma. No, no one's at the mercy unless you say you are, unless you feel right, you are. Right. Uh, everybody's, but everybody's acting all the time. Mm-hmm. Every action, every thought is karmic, is karmic impulse, right. impulse too. So those people who those of us who say we're at the mercy, uh, we keep planting those seeds and of right. helplessness in ourselves. So, which, when you, know, you look at it uh, from that viewpoint, that's still empowering <laughs> to recognize yeah. that. 
you know, yeah. because it is, oh, I'm taking action even just by Every just moment. by laying on my back and going, oh, God, the universe is having its way with me again. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. Thank you. So can I just ask one more question? I know we're coming up to... Let me just say one more thing. Yeah, as, as far as the chanting goes and the repetition mm. of the name, which is what I do, mm -hmm. Sri Ramakrishna said that every repetition of one of these names has power, has shakti, just like a seed of a huge tree, a tiny little seed holds a huge tree inside of it, that potential. So every repetition of the name carries that kind of shakti, that potential to, you know, blossom and bloom and grow. So every repetition of one of these names carries that. Now, we're not, the effect might not be immediately apparent, just like you plant the seed of a tree and it, it's not a tree right away. So, but you know what you're planting. Mm -hmm. And so the fruit of that planting will come will, and must come. Uh, there's no doubt about that. There's no iffiness about that. You plant the seed, the result of that seed will, will come, of that planting will come. So that's why they say it's... it's and, and they also say that these names, these sounds, are actually the sound form of God. They're the sound form of what's beyond form. There's beyond form, the one in which we all live. It's beyond name, beyond form. It doesn't this. Krishna says you can't cut it. You can't, you know, it's the beyond. But these sounds, which we call the names, are the form, the sound, the vibrational form of that. And so that lives within us as our own soul, so to speak. And so through the repetition of the name, we move more deeply into that place within us. Mm. It's not outside. Mm -hmm. There's nothing outside. It's like a, an activation or something within yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Very much. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Okay, I'm through. Can I ask you, can I ask you one more? <laughs> yeah, one sure. More? No, but I mean, uh, I'm You're done with it. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I've, I've heard you talk about how Maharaji was a, a man with a family, correct? Sure. Yeah, and, we didn't know that, though. Oh, really? We didn't know until after he left the body. There were some of the old devotees that knew, mm. but it wasn't public knowledge because he never went home. He never, he never, mm. he was on the traveling all the time. But he, yeah. Anyway, you go ask your question. What well, was the question? But there, and you you mentioned earlier too. There there wasn't really an organization. There were were no temples to him in India. He was he was all of service and didn't carry, you know, it didn't have like an organization or anything. But out of this great master came you know forces that created massive waves of awakening here in the U.S being sure. you and Ramdas and and uh, and others as well. Um Larry you know, but Brilliant. He's, pardon yeah. me. Larry Brilliant who who mm -hmm. led the fight the eradication of smallpox oh, in wow. India. Really? 500,000 women, children and men and babies every year died of smallpox. 500,000 in year. India and in Africa there were more. It was eradicated. Maharaji sent him 
and blessed him and blessed the whole procedure and they eradicated smallpox. Wow. That's humongous. Yeah. There's a great book about that called Sometimes Brilliant. Really? By, by Larry Brilliant. Oh, it's worth reading. It's fun. He's a great writer. Oh, I have Wonderful chills book. up and down my yeah. arms and legs. Yeah. yeah uh, it's a great book. And it's Maharaj. Yeah. So Not to mention Steve, Steve Jobs, who, really? who died with a picture of Maharaji on his wall right next to his bed. Is that and right? Miracle of Love by his pillow. Wow. He went to India to meet Maharaji, but he had already left the body. So he stayed in the temple. And while he was in the temple, he, his, things happened to him in his head about the computers. Wow. I know he has a very way. mystical, you know, yeah. background. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Many people. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So so he's been gone for almost 50 years now and... and uh, is that or almost almost yeah, yeah seventy three yeah Did that and long bro. is that is my math right forty that, years I guess forty seventy eighty three ninety three two thousand three thirteen forty seven years yeah. yeah yeah wow wow so and we lost Ramdas last year. And we did. Where'd he go? <laughs> well, <laughs> with the body. <laughs> Good go? point. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yes. Um, so I'm wondering about the the legacy of the Maharaji lineage and how that's carrying on now. Has there been an organization that's been developed, or I know you you have no. community, you know, and that community is growing. And Ramdas, you know, used to have a lot of retreats in Hawaii and things. Yeah, we have we Ramdas and I did those retreats together. Mm-hmm. But the community is the human race is all beings. Mm-hmm. There's a few organizations like the Love Serve Member Foundation, which keeps Ramdas's teachings available and, you know, puts up them up, make them available online and does some projects around all that stuff. But there's no no there's no organization that represents Maharaj. Mm-hmm. He had a blanket. <laughs> and when he left Kenshi, he dropped the blanket actually. Really? When he when he left and he said, Now I'm getting out of central jail. And he dropped the blanket and drove off. So the, there's no organization that can claim to be doing Maharaji's will. Even Siddhima, who took care of, who was his great devotee, and she also left the body two or three years ago now, um, she never, she lived in the temples. She took care of the devotees and the temples and just made, she saved my life so many times. She never started an organization. In fact, if you ask her, you asked her for her blessing, she'd say, what are you asking me for? Ask Maharaji. I have nothing to do with it, you know? Mm. So nobody, anybody who says that they're carrying on his work other than serving other beings mm-hmm. is just in for trouble, you know, just making up lies. He, he just walked off the stage and he, who knows? He might've walked on the stage already with another body. No one knows. He's so beyond the understanding of us humans. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and but his lineage or his, his, you could say his blessings are continually to be offered to people through many different people and mm-hmm. many people doing good works in the world. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing to join. There's no one place to go mm-hmm. where you can 
sit around and be stupid thinking and meditating and being a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, if people are inspired by you and they resonate with with what you're what you're talking about and, and want to immerse themselves more, what would be the best first step? Look in the mirror and imagine you are the most beautiful being in the world and that you are worthy of love and that and then go out and see every other being the way you see yourself and treat others the way you want to be treated. That's nothing, nothing else you have to do. And if you can't do that, then do some practice to kind of calm your mind. There's nowhere to go. This is it. This is earth. We, we're here. We need to take care of each other the best way we can. And, and uh, be kind and compassionate. That's all we can do. That's the best we can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, for those who... Uh, are called to other ways of serving. Hanuman never thought of himself. He never thought of himself. He only was here to serve Ram. And who is Ram? Ram is your own true essence. So Hanuman is here to remove the obstacles in your heart to finding out who you are. Because when you find out how you who you are, you'll know what the universe is. So, uh, to treat other people the way you want to be treated, that's the best thing we could ever do in this world. Mm. And that's not easy. Right. Is it? Simple words and get yeah. caught up in the moment and that can be yeah. very difficult. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. People think, oh, I'll, I'll do spiritual practice and I'll achieve a state and I'll be good. But, you know, it's not like that. Yeah. We need that grist in the mill, which is life. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we we have plenty of it. Yes. We have so many opportunities to polish ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a great blessing. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and for your service. And um, I will leave notes about all the little the little treasures that you've suggested throughout so great thank you thank you so much also i'll tell you there's a book about maharaji that just become available it's called divine reality oh and it's available it's an ebook and it's on my website it's available for free as a download Mm -hmm. in any different pdf kindle whatever else Mm -hmm. ebook form so you can just go there and download it amazing stories about Maharaji just amazing I was gonna ask if they I just love all of the 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 stories of the remarkable things that he was able the the seeds that he planted or the things that he knew or the things that manifested it's just yeah and it's uh, on my website there's a I think I have all the books listed about him another great book is called love everyone by Parvati Marcus. Phenomenal. She took, got all of us to give our journals from those one particular period with Maharaji. And she put it all together. So you're like in one day with Maharaji and everything that happened. And it's an extraordinary book, really great book. Oh, wow. So th- that list is on, you know, it, 
And there's two books by Dada, who was one of my hardest great devotees too, By His Grace and The Near and the Dear. And of course, Miracle of Love by Ramdas and all Ramdas's books. Uh, and uh, this Divine Reality as a download. So mm, yeah, thank there's you. enough reading there for the next 20 years. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you have um, regular offerings as well for people. I do. Would you I like don't know to- how regular they are. They're, they're kind of unusual. <laughs> <laughs> well, regularly timed, I should say. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been singing every Thursday night with people. Mm-hmm. And then every other Saturday, usually we have a, a Zoom question and answer thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thursday nights are free, but there is a charge for Saturday because we do have to eat. Yes. And uh, there's, uh, I have two books I wrote, one about the Hanuman Chalisa called Flow of Grace. And the other one is called uh, Chance of a Lifetime which is, uh, I just did an audio book, so that should be out in January. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the story. Oh, beautiful. And I know you normally are, would be touring, and with, you know, uh-huh. we're, we're recording this in 2020, which, you know, newsflash for anybody listening to this in the future, 2020 was a beast. And, uh, I hope there is a future. <laughs> yeah. Mamma mia. But, uh Yes, yeah. so you. But I think I saw you're doing. There are some online. Are they? Have they moved some of the festivals and things? Yeah, been, I, I've been very busy online. There's a lot of things. If anybody's interested, you can please go to krishnadas.com, and somewhere in there, there's a list of events and uh, different things that are offered. I've done a few different courses with different groups that uh, probably are available online. They're all pretty good. They're not bad. <laughs> See, you are very humble. <laughs> I know me. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, well, thank you again. Thank you so much. What a blessing. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. asking me. Yeah, it's Namaste. such a pleasure. Be well. Namaste. Namaste.